All right, open your Bibles to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Continuing on, learning what the Bible teaches us about the goodness of God and why it's so important and how it impacts our life. The goodness of God. You ever have a situation in your life where somebody tells you something about somebody and it colors your view of them in a negative way? And your, your thoughts about them and your attitude towards them and, and you get so much uh, commentary about this person that you've never met and even without ever meeting them, you have no desire to meet them. Anyone? Or you meet them and you're just kind of standoffish and you're suspicious and you're cautious and maybe even a little bit bitter towards them. person you never met, right? And how many of you ever had that moment when you come to this person and, and your view of them has been so colored by others and you spend just a moment getting to meet them? You're like, ah, oh, you're not so bad. Anyone? Right? In fact, I kind of like you. I can't believe everything I've heard about you, Bill. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I can't believe what people are saying about you in this. You're, you're okay. Right? You're a good guy. Right? You ever have one of those? You, you, you just have this conversation with someone. You get to know them. And you walk away going, what was all this? I can't believe it. What was that? All those people were saying such negative things about this person. I, I, uh, best I can tell, that's a good person. I like this person, right? And, and it's so interesting because that is, that is kind of the heartbeat of, of getting to know God. There's so many misperceptions and, and preconceived ideas that, that we get into our head about God from others and other sources other than this that oftentimes our approach to God is, I don't even know if I want to meet Him. I've heard so much about this angry wrathful God. I'm not so sure I want a personal relationship with this guy, right? And, and so in, in much the same way, in, in our study of Scripture, particularly on the goodness of God, my prayer for you is that light bulbs have been going off through Scripture reading and meditation and, and application that you're like, oh, you're not so bad. In fact, you're pretty good. I like you. You're a good God. All those years and all those, you know, uh, I used to do uh, an, uh, an exercise with, with youth groups. And even with, with the men here five years ago, first got together for a Bible study. I said, draw me a picture of God. When I say the word God, just draw me a picture of how you're raised, what comes to mind. The majority of pictures had lightning bolts, right? Had, had the principal in the sky and angry. And, and it was just interesting, these pictures of God I, I, don't, I can't even remember a vivid picture that someone drew of God that had to do with goodness. It, it, it's, it's not one of those attributes that we normally attribute to God, and yet we've been learning goodness really underlies and is the foundation of all His attributes. God is good in His love. God is good in His holiness. God is good in His grace. God is good in His judgment and, and everything else. His everything. 
goodness underlies it all. So, so the question, you know, as we start is, when I say God to you, does goodness pop into your head? What, what's the first word? You know, let's play word association. God. Okay, you got loving. We got loving, right? God. Abba. Okay. How many God angry? Right? Maybe. Maybe four weeks ago. <laughs> maybe before summer and the attributes of God, right? So, so this is a, it's a very interesting question because your belief about the nature of God, right? We've talked about it. leads to thoughts about God, leads to your emotions about God, and ultimately leads to your actions towards God. What do you really believe about the attributes, the character of God? When you think about the, the nature of God, does it draw you to Him? And go, oh man, I just love you, you're so good, I just want to know you more. Or when you think about the nature of God, you're like, oh. You know, you're kind of ducking, right? I've had people tell me that have been invited here to church, oh, I can't go to your church. I walk through the door, I'm going to be struck down. People are like that fearful. And, you know, they kind of say it facetiously, but, but they have this view of God and of church and of the things of God that they're scared to come to church because of condemnation and wrath and judgment. And I'm like, wow. Wow, what's it going to take for that person to really switch that and see goodness? And how different would that color this person's view of of fear of church to wanting to come. To wanting to come. Right? And that's what we've been that's what we've been through, and we're going to continue looking at it. So let's pray and then we're going to jump into God's word. Lord, thank you for your goodness. And Father, as we've been studying scripture about your goodness, in many ways, Lord, it's peeling back layers for many. We're being challenged at the belief level, at the conviction level. Maybe for some, we're starting to understand our hesitation to embrace you. Maybe for some, we're, we're understanding our, our, our fear of you in an unhealthy sense, in, in a non-biblical sense. And, and so, Lord, help us to understand goodness in such a way that we would be drawn to you, in such a way that it would literally impact the daily decisions we make. Because you're a good God, and you are good all the time. We know that your word says it. But now through the Holy Spirit, would you, would you speak that truth to our hearts? So that not only would we say it, but we would believe it. And that belief would be manifested in, in the actions and the choices we make throughout the day. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 6.25, just do, these are the verses we, we ended with last week. Let's, start, let's read the passage. It says, Therefore I tell you, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Right? So last, last Sunday, the core of the message was, look, there's a difference in verse 32. It says, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. We said, look, last Sunday, if you have put your faith in Christ, right? You said Abba, right? When I said God, the association was Abba. Abba means father, papa, daddy. It's a familial term, right? In John 1:12, it says, whoever receives Jesus... You have the right to become what? Children of God. You become a child of God, right? So we looked at many verses last week where it says God is good to all. His creation, right? He makes the sun to rise, gives rain to everybody. So there's this general sense of common goodness. And yet in this passage, he says, hey, your father, your Abba, you children of God, check yourself. This is kind of a check yourself message. It, you know, sometimes we, we forget that, you know, we, we, we were very familiar with that passage where Jesus says, hey, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say, right? That's a check yourself. Well, in many ways, this is a check yourself message. Because what he's saying to believers is, hey, why are you worrying and so anxious and fearful about the things of life and acting like people who don't have a relationship with God. It's kind of a calling out. He's lovingly checking. He said, hey, the pagans run after all those things. That's their value system. That's their priorities. Your heavenly Father, you who profess Jesus, you who are children of God, your heavenly Father knows you need these things. There should be a difference. There should be a difference. If we, again, remember the spectrum, beliefs, thoughts, emotions, actions. If we believe that we are children of God, we can call Him Abba. But also if we believe in His goodness and His ability to provide. Remember we said they're linked. Many of us will affirm God is powerful, present, knows everything. But many times the missing link to make it personal is His goodness. See, here's the thing. God is able to provide. But here's the crazy thing for a child of God. He wants to. Mm. See, he's a good God. And he wants good for you. He wants to provide. How many of you have ever, maybe you're at home or at school or a sports team, and you were afraid to ask for something for fear of the response? Right? Maybe you're at home and you go ask. No, you go ask. I'm not going to ask. Last time I asked, I got my head bit off. You ask. No, you ask. Right? And so we're afraid to ask because we're afraid of the negative response. Right? And so we don't even ask. How many of you maybe carry that into your relationship with God? You ask. No, you ask. Doris, you pray. He likes you better. Huh? Huh? Doris, he's not going to yell at you. You can ask. Doris, can you pray for me? Well, why don't you pray? I don't know. God likes you better. 
What happens if to our prayer life if we really believe God wants to answer according to His will, which is best for us? How many of us would, would radically change our heart and attitude to prayer and want? How many of you have ever gone to somebody that was very generous and very giving and it cha- you had no problem asking for something? Right? Many of you remember um, Bill Handley at, at Community, right? The usher, the candy man. How many remember the candy man? Right? Were kids afraid to ask Bill Hanley for candy? No. He had pockets, right? And they'd get there, let's go to Bill. Blah, 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 blah. Right? Not, not an ounce of fear to ask Bill Hanley for candy because he was just generous and a good guy in giving. Amen? Right? Why don't we have that same attitude to God? What are we afraid of? Is Bill Hanley more generous than God? And I love Bill, right? Think about it. Right? Oh, well, go ask Bill for candy. I don't want to, Mom. He's good. He'll give it to you. Just go ask him, right? Just go ask him. What are you afraid of? I know Bill. Bill wants to give you candy. That's why he brings it. Uh, uh, uh. So many of us in our relationship with God, uh, uh, uh. And he's kind of calling us out. He's like, hey, the pagans run after those things. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. He knows you need them. So if we're, if we're, as we're processing the goodness of God, first question is, what's your attitude in prayer and in coming to Him with your needs? Do you really believe in His goodness? He wants your good. Ooh. That's kind of challenging at the core level because many of us have grown up with surroundings and circumstances where we felt like people didn't want our good. Right? And along comes the Bible and says, God is good all the time. We sing it. We say it. He is. For you. His children. So He's calling us out, kind of, you know, Jesus saying, hey, why are you acting? Check yourself here. Check yourself here. Right? And, and the goodness of God, even I was thinking about, if you have been with us the last few weeks, I, I believe many of you, and, and I've had conversations, meditating on it and applying the goodness of God has been liberating for some of you. Just been like, oh, man, that's good. That's good, right? If you look on your notes there, we talked about if, you, if you're not convinced about His goodness, you're open to deception, you become discontent. You can stop taking responsibility for your actions. You can even despair. Hey, do you care, God? Do you care? Remember that story in the boat? You can doubt, right? So many of us have been actually freed from a lot of these things. You're like, oh, oh, okay. But now here's the challenge. As you rest in God's goodness, now what? And this is what I mean by that, now what? I was raised... uh, in a, in a very academic-oriented family. And, and so we were raised in such a way that you got to go to college and you got to get a degree. And I pursued junior high, high school, got all the grades, tests, everything you need to get into UCLA. I get to UCLA, and like, whoo, made it. Find your degree, right? You merge your degree. But here's the problem. I, all those years, I was so focused on getting in and getting a degree, I had no clue what to do after. My life, the definition of success for me was solely focused on getting in and getting a degree. 
I didn't. I was lost after that. It, the degree in UCLA was not part of a bigger plan. I was just consumed. And then once I got there, and me and my roommate were graduating, we looked at each other like, now what? Like retirement? I guess we retire, right? Retire at 22 because we got the degree, and that's what our whole life was about ever since grade school was get a college degree, get a college degree from a good school. I had no concept of career, no, no, no aspirations bigger than get the degree. For many of us as believers, over time, because we don't understand God's goodness, we become consumed and so focused on the needs, the daily needs, the crisis, the things that God needs to help us with. God needs to provide. God needs to provide. And so we're focused on this. God, I need this. God, help me here. God, help me here. God, help me here. Da, 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 da. And God's goodness comes in and He says, hey, don't worry about that. What are you going to do? What do I do? with all the time, energy, and resources that have gone into doubt, worry, fear, and anxiety. When God says, I'm good, I know your needs, give that all to me, cast all your cares on me, now what? Now what? Many of us, even as believers, quite frankly, we are consumed with the needs, meeting the needs. The bills, the issues, this, that, this, that. And along comes God in His goodness and says, I know you need that. Don't worry. What are you going to do with yourself if you're not worrying? Huh? What are you going to do with yourself when you take away all the anxiety and fear? Sleep? <laughs> Yeah, some of you, quite, I, I appreciate that. Some of us are so amped with worry and fear and anxiety, you are driven. You take that all away, you are going to crash out of pure exhaustion. Because you've been carrying it for so long, you don't even know it's there. And along comes Jesus and says, why are you worrying like that? That's what the people who don't know God act like. What are you going to do? if you're not supposed to carry the worry. You're trying to figure out what that even like, huh? Because it's been so long. L look what he says in that passage, guys. Three times. Do not worry. Is that a command or a suggestion? Is it what? It's a command! So what are you going to do if you're not worrying? Right? In John 5, Jesus comes to a guy who's been an invalid for 38 years. Right? You know the story. There's a pool and a miracle happens and it's a race into the pool. Whoever touches the water first is healed. Jesus shows up and he knows this guy's been an invalid 38 years and always loses the race in. And he asks him, hey, do you want to get well? Interesting question. And one of the layers of the response of why he asked that, do you want to get well, is because when you're no longer an invalid for 38 years, now what? You mean I got to get a job? You mean I got to take responsibility? I got to be a good steward? I got to start. My life changes? Right? How many of you would love not to worry? 
and just cast all your cares on God. Eh? Come on, come on. How many of you are like the invalid and you've been kind of paralyzed and, and maybe dragging worry and fear and anxiety around? Anyone? Do you want to get well? Careful. <laughs> Real careful. Because if God comes along and says, take up your mat and walk. Oh, and by the way, leave the worry and fear here. Where are you going? Now what? Now what? See, when I was reading this morning, you know one of the challenges? When the slaves were freed by Abraham Lincoln, the, the, the masters came and said, you're free! Woo-hoo! Now what? That's all they knew. That's all they knew. And now they had to fend for themselves. Huh? Now what? And many of us, our Christianity, we've got to be careful because this is, this is one of those heart loves. And I've been asking, how many of us, our faith in Jesus is not so much in loving Him, it's in, Lord, help me with all the stuff of my life. We're consumed with worry and fear and anxiety and how God's going to provide and God's going to protect and da-da-da-da-da. And in His goodness, He says, hey, give that all to me. Yeah, but then what are we left with? Right? Empty nest syndrome. Right? Husband and wife. For some reason, you know, they get kids, 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 kids. Up to five. And if they're not careful, they get consumed with the kids and the cares of the kids. And the kids all leave, and the, and the husband and wife are like, okay, husband and wife are like, <laughs> are like, now what? Everything that we had turned our focus to is gone. Where's that, what happened to our relationship? How many of us as Christians, our relationship with God is centered around fix it, and worry, and anxiety, and needs, and this, and that, and he says, I'm good. Give it all to me. Yeah, but God, now what? It's just you and me. Yeah. That's the way it was designed all along. He just wants you in a covenant relationship with Him. You see, I had the privilege to, to marry uh, Kristen and Jason last, uh, last week. And, and it was a joy because I know their hearts are so other-centered. I love you, right? They, they're, they're giving their vows and, and they're expressing all out, all out. It's other-centered. Versus, I love you, you make me happy, I need you, I you. You know, you know what I'm saying? It becomes very self-centered and it's in a very twisted way. It's a self-centered thing. But it sounds sort of lovey. And for many of us as Christians, if we're not careful, our relationship with Jesus, with God, becomes a self-centered thing. I need you. I want you. Can you please do this for me? And it becomes very issues, problem, fixing oriented. Well, all along, the greatest commandment is what? Love. Would you love me? And so we have to say, okay, Lord, in your goodness, you say to cast all my cares on you. In, in your goodness, you say, you know. So now what? What do you do with all that extra time, resource, and energy you've been investing into fear and worry and anxiety? What are you supposed to do with it? What are you supposed to do with it? Because if you're not careful, you can kind of slide into the flesh. You can kind of slide into, you know, let's, let's do a couple of quick verses. Look at, let's go back all the way to Deuteronomy. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What are we going to do with this freedom we have? You know, even, even as, as the emancipated slaves said, now what? What do we do with this freedom? Right? Let's look at Deuteronomy 6. And God knows our nature so well. Way back in Deuteronomy, He warns the Israelites. Deuteronomy 6, 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not, what? Forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery, right? See, here's, here's the caution. Go ahead and turn to First Peter. As God in His goodness, as it resonates in our hearts, and as we begin to enjoy freedom from all that fear, worry, and anxiety, we've got to be careful that we don't forget Him. That we don't forget the Lord. Right? Turn to First Peter 2. Hebrews, James, First Peter. First Peter two sixteen. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as servants of God. What are we supposed to do with this freedom in God's goodness, in God's provision? Not for the flesh. We're supposed to use it for the Lord, right? Turn to Galatians five thirteen. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So here's the crazy thing. When, when we come to the place of understanding God's goodness and that He will provide and wants to provide and we put off all of our cares and our worries and anxieties and we have all this extra time, resource, and energy, it's not to be used for the flesh. It's to be used for God and for others. Amen? That's where you invest. That's where you, when you put all that stuff off and you go, okay, Lord, whoo, don't have to worry anymore. Whoo, you say to cast all my cares on you. All right, I'm giving all that up. What do I do now? Love God and love others. He knows us well enough that when we say, what do I do now? We're like, yeah! Extra time, extra money to do what I want. We're just like that. I mean, Deuteronomy 6. Hey, when you get to that land that you did nothing to get, that I hooked you up with, when you get there, don't forget me. And why am I saying that? Because you're going to forget me. Right? Now what? Right? Turn to Matthew 6. And he very clearly answers the now what here as well. Matthew 6, 33. Look what he says. Well, we're starting 32 for context. For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But! Okay? Then he transitions. Okay, now what? So since you're putting off worrying, since you're not going to worry anymore, here's what you should do. 
But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There's the priority. See, how does God's goodness impact you and me? Our priorities. Our priorities. If we're not supposed to be worrying, if, how many of us, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. Quite honestly, if you were to look at some sort of, some sort of spreadsheet of time invested in worry, anxiety, and fear, how many of us would probably say, based on the spreadsheet, that's my priority in life, worry, anxiety, and fear. Right? And he says, okay, what he's basically saying is, hey, you've got to change the spreadsheet. Your priorities now have to be flipped. When you look at the use of time resource spreadsheet chart, it should say the things of God as your number one priority. The goodness of God affects our priorities. See, if He's a good God and He's our Heavenly Father and not only is He able to provide, but He wants to provide, all that energy going into worry and anxiety should go into Him. Amen? Should go into His kingdom. That's where you put yourself. That's where you pour yourself into. Right? Look, look above in Matthew six nineteen. Same, same principle. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in where? Heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves break, do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your what? Heart. It's a heart issue. At the core, our priorities, how you use your time and money is a reflection of where your heart is. So if you want to get real practical, okay, real practical, if you and I want to get real practical, here's what you do. You go home and you do an expense report on where you spent all your money the last week or two. And then you do an expense time report and you, where, where you spent your hours and minutes the last two weeks. And really quick, it's going to show you where your priorities are. Right? Two of the biggest checks on where our priorities are are where our money goes and where our time goes. So if you're curious about what are what are what I know I say a lot and but what are my priorities? Well, just look there. Just look there and be honest. And ask yourself why. In the goodness of God, do I need to change my priorities? In the goodness of God, am I seeking Him first? Him first. Right? That's, 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 that's where the goodness of God in a wonderful way draws us to Him. This is not a message of like, oh, bad, bad, bad. This is a message of, oh, Lord, you're so good. I just want to pour my time and resources into you. That's what really matters. Treasures in heaven. Amen? Treasure in His goodness. So the question is, now what? Are you willing to get well? Are you willing to stop worrying? Are you willing to stop anxiety? Because many of us are so comfortable there. You're so comfortable that you don't know what it would be like without it. It's challenging, right? We'll close with John. Turn to John 11. We'll close here.
John 11. Story of Lazarus. And Lazarus has died. A guy named Lazarus. Jesus loves. And Jesus shows up. And Lazarus has already been dead. And let's start in John 11, verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Curious, because now what? Lazarus was just raised from the dead. They take off the strips of linen, and now he has a now what moment. Now what? I've just been raised from the dead. Now what? Now what? Because if you put your faith in Christ, you were raised from the dead. Now what? Now what? Right? Are, are, are you going to let them take off the strips of worry? Are they going to free you from the anxieties and the fears and the priorities that are misplaced and acting like the, the people who don't know God? Are you going let, to let those things be stripped off so you can walk in newness of life? Now what? Now what? In John 12, it says a whole lot of people started coming to Jesus because they saw Lazarus walking around. What do they see when they see us walking around who have been raised from the spiritual dead? Do they see us acting like the pagans, acting like those that don't know Christ? Are they like, what happened to you? Well, you know, I heard God and He said, come here, Mike. You're born again. I'm raising you from the dead. Take off the strips. Go walk as someone who's raised from the dead. Woo! What would that do? What got into you, Lois? Well, I was dead. I once was dead, but now I'm alive in Christ. All those worry strips and fear strips and all the value strips and all the stuff of the world, I took them off. I'm loosed. I'm free. In God's goodness. Right? Now what? God's goodness, God's goodness challenges at the priority level. At the priority level. And, and as a real kind of check, your time, your money, your resources. Just do a quick self-evaluation, self-assessment, and let God say, where are you at? Where have you been? Right? 
And if it hasn't been right, just make it right. Just confess it. Okay, Lord, forgive me. My priorities have been flipped. It's, I turned it into me. You know, Lord, when you said to the Israelites, don't forget me, I forgot you. I got a good job. I, I'm comfortable, Lord. I got it kind of set. I know you gave me the job. I know you gave me the house. I know it's your new car. I know it's all the, I know you gave it to me, but I got to confess, I, I forgot you. I forgot where it all came from and who really owns it. Right? See, God's goodness leads us to repentance. Romans. In His goodness, He says, I love you so much, and all I want you to do, Diana, is love me back. And all the things that you're concerned about, all your fears and anxieties and worries, I know that. I don't want you to focus on the fears and anxieties and worries, Diana. I want you to focus on me. See the difference? But a lot of us as Christians... Our real focus is on the fears, anxieties, and worries that we're hoping God fixes. And he says, I already know. I already know. Seek first the kingdom. And all that's going to be taken care of. Amen? Scott and Susan are going to come up and we're going to sing a song before communion. And I just want to use this as a time of reflection about our priorities in light of God's goodness. Jesus, thank you that your kindness leads us to repentance. Your goodness. And Matthew 6 is a passage that really calls out us as believers. Are we consumed with fear and worry? Is it strangling us? Are we willing to cast our cares on You? Are we willing to be made well? Are we willing to take off the strips of linen that have bound us and walk in newness of life? Where have our priorities been? Do we really want to know You and love You for who You are or are we really after what You can do for us? Lord, I pray that as we continue to meditate on it and learn what the Bible says about Your goodness, that we would just fall in love with You. That Your goodness would stir up in us a love that just is overflowing. Because You are good and You want good for us. You want our best all the time. We don't have to be afraid to ask You. We can come to You with confidence and joy. And so we ask You to search our hearts. And and if, if our priorities have been off, and if our life has really been reflecting the values of the world, we confess that and ask Your forgiveness. And we ask You to make it real practical this week. What do we need to do different with the use of our time, money, resources, so that our lives truly would reflect that we're seeking the kingdom of God first. Make it real. Make it practical. And as we sing this song, Lord, may we sing it as a prayer before we take communion.